It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The fun forever is at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, April 26th, and you're listening to episode 465. As always, I'm your host, Jason. Today, joined by uh, one of our mentee guest hosts, Jamie Sabriel Flez. Jamie, how are you doing? Hello. Oh, I'm so good. I'm so excited to be back. It's good to have you back. It's just saying at the beginning before we were recording, it's been a minute since we've chatted. It's been One quite a few minute. minutes. Yes, it has. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad to have you back. And uh, you uh, actually had us invite someone awesome to the show as an extra special guest uh, mm-hmm. so that you could ask her lots of questions. And that is Brenna Noonan, president and co-founder of Quillsilver Studios and an official Kickstarter certified approved expert. Um, which I didn't even know existed until I found out tonight, which is amazing. Brenna, how's it going? Hi. Wow, that was so many adjectives. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. It's great to have you uh, joining us from Australia this evening or this day, as it is for you. Um, <laughs> as you pointed out, it's nice and sunny in the background where you're recording. We're recording. It's uh, 9 p.m. at night where both Jamie and I are. So Yeah, <laughs> it's a little gloomy. It is and raining. Mm, Love it. (laughs) But um, so Jamie brought you here to uh, to ask you lots of questions. But hey, first, I wanted to let you just tell us a little bit about Quillsilver and what exactly you do, because spoiler alert, it's it's a lot of different cool things um, that you were talking to Jamie and I about. So I would love for the audience to get to hear, you know, what what it is you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. So Quillsilver is um, the company that I co-founded along with my husband, um, Dan May, and my brother-in-law, Greg May. Um, And Quillsilver is basically like a game development um, studio or co-publishing studio. Um, So basically the way it works is designers or publishers approach us with a prototype for a game that maybe they don't have the time or the knowledge to like bring over the finish line and turn into a really awesome sellable product. Um, so what we do is we take that prototype and over the course of however many months we develop the game, um, we art direct it, illustrate it, do the graphic design, uh, put it on Kickstarter, and then we return you know print ready, market ready game to the client. Um, so we wow. basically take projects like from start to finish. Very That's cool. fantastic. And I know you can't talk a lot about a lot of the stuff you're working on, obviously. Uh, is there any games you can you can throw out there that uh, you've you have done all of this work for that are out there now live? Not not too much. I mean, there's there's projects that our team has worked on that are that are out there. Um, uh, like we were the developers of Everdell, which um, my husband also art directed uh-huh. and partially illustrated. Awesome. Um, so that's mm-hmm. one. Um, we have a couple projects coming up to Kickstarter that we did um, a few different pieces of, though not the whole thing. Um, and that's Buru by Crafty Games and Florence by Brain Crack Games. Those will both be on Kickstarter soon. Oh, cool. cool. Very cool. Well, awesome. Everdell awesome. is a masterpiece of a game. So good job. <laughs> Thank you. <It's> very fun. <laughs> Thanks so much. Awesome. Um, so yeah, yeah. And, um, Jamie, uh, yes. so you want to real quick, give us a little update on how everything's going with fight sequence. I think that'll be a nice intro into all the questions mm-hmm. you're going to ask tonight. Give Brenna a little background here too, on what's happening. Heck yeah. Uh, should I, should I talk about the game in general? Because Brenna hasn't heard about it. Yeah. Why don't you give us, uh, an elevator, you know, a shorter pitch on that and then, yeah. And then we'll, uh, and we'll cool. go from there. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'd find that helpful. Sweet deal. All right, yeah. So Fight Sequence is a tactical head-to-head card battler about psychics thinking about fighting. Uh, So instead of a rock, paper, scissors, or stunlock or distance mechanic like fighting games normally have, instead it's reverse action programming. Uh, And so you are building a sequence of actions that resolves in reverse order. Um, And you not only are planning your own moves, you're also using psychic powers to manipulate where actions are in the sequence before the sequence resolves, which is relevant for a lot of things. Lots of, it's, it's relevant. I promise it's relevant. It's important. <laughs> um, I, I played it a little faster and looser with the elevator pitch this time because I wasn't, <laughs> I was, I was more on the spot. I wasn't prepared for it anyway. Um, so that's, that's fight sequence in a nutshell. It's a card game. Um, and it is, uh, it's a very late stage prototype and I'm planning on kickstarting it later this year. And it is my first time doing a uh, doing a Kickstarter of my own. Uh, 
Um, I've backed many, I've followed a ton, uh, and I'm in a bunch of like the game development Discord groups. I'm part of the Game Makers Guild, uh, the Boston chapter of the Game Makers Guild for the past couple years and stuff like that. So I've, I've been around game development, but this is my first time launching my own. Um, and so I've been appearing on the podcast here to help with that tail end of like, yeah, you know, it's my, I'm new to the industry as a whole. Um, I've been designing for a while, but I'm new to the industry. There's a bunch of stuff I don't know. How do I learn this stuff? I don't know. Uh, and so we've talked about, you know, how to find uh, a graphic designer on the last, on the last episode. And I'm pleased to report to everyone that I took the advice that I got from all the questions <laughs> that I asked in the previous episode. And I found a graphic designer and that I have awesome. a graphic designer. Yeah, Congratulations. That's a huge step. Awesome. It, it was so nerve wracking. Yes. Um, I, I like literally an hour before we started recording this podcast, I sent them a revised contract to sign. Oh, wow. Fantastic. So, yeah. She's going to start working on it uh, hopefully on Monday. Also, so, uh, awesome. a round of applause for using a contract. We love to see it. Oh, my yes. gosh. Yes. <laughs> contracts all day. Oh, I love contracts. Yes. She sent me one that she she put together on like a like an online contract builder and it was like a page and a half long. And I was like, how about we use mine? Cause it's eight pages and offers us both more protection. <laughs> yeah. very. She was very, very excited about it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen uh, that multiple times where, where somebody will say, Hey, publisher or so-and-so thanks for this contract, but I have one that will give you more protection too. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's always <laughs> yeah. good. Yes. No, it's I really good. Oh. I know this isn't the topic of the podcast, but just to say it is really <laughs> like, well, it's really good to be like well-versed in contracts and be comfortable with that process. Cause I've even worked with like pretty mm -hmm. big publishers and they're like, if you have a contract to use, please use it because we don't want to draft a contract. Um, oh, so, so it's wow. really, yeah. that's surprising. Yeah. I, I was really surprised. I was like, you guys seem too big for this, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, so so if you're like comfortable with that process, and if you you know put put in a little bit of investment up front to get a really good contract for you, it's mm -hmm. gonna go a really long way. Highly recommend it. Yeah, as an amusing little anecdote, you know, as I'm sure many, as I'm sure you both know, many of the listeners know, when you are on the path to self-publishing a game, you're not just a game designer; you wear a lot of different hats. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I started my own publishing company. I did that whole thing, did the business. I have a G Suite account. It's it's wild. And I, I despise writing rule books. But one of the strange things that I found is one of my favorite things is writing those contracts. I nice. love writing contracts. Um, awesome. And I, it's, it's not even written in legalese. It's written in like plain speak with all the legal... That's yeah. That's really it. good yeah. too. A, Those are the best time when you can actually understand them. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> turns out that's really important for getting someone to agree to the terms. Anyway, um, so piv pivoting into uh, what we're actually talking about today. Um, so now you have a little bit of background. I'm a first time, first time Kickstarter -er mm -hmm. later this year, um, and I started my business and stuff during the pandemic. So I I have not ever demoed at a convention. Mm -hmm. um, I demoed at the Boston Festival of Indie Games exactly one time, like right before awesome. the pandemic. I love which, B-Fig. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. Fun. Um, but So that was like, you know, baby's first convention. And mm -hmm. I, I learned a lot of what not to do. And also Fight Sequence was in a, in a primitive state then. Okay. Um, but, uh, but now the game, the design of the game is basically done. It's like 99% done. And now mm -hmm. I'm ready to cross the finish line. You know, I I'm, I still need to get the graphic design, as you just heard. You know, I, it's about to begin, um, and I only have some of the art, and so we're working on that. And I figured now is the time to strike in terms of building the audience and getting people to look at the Kickstarter when I launch it later this year. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that, uh, and, and you know, this might be. A, a, a section that we touch on later on but from my own research i know that the easiest way to build an audience is to like grassroots campaigns started up and just like be involved in communities and slowly accrue people that are interested out of like play testers and people that are interested in the art and interested in what you're doing and all that stuff however as a first-time designer i don't have that yet because i'm i'm new on the scene mm -hmm. and so i figured Rather than wait five years to launch the game, I, I want to get a head start with some paid advertising, uh, is what I'm thinking. It might mm -hmm. not be the best plan, but that is why you're here, to talk <laughs> me into or out of it. Um, and that's, yeah. that's where my questions are coming from. Um, awesome. Yeah, no, it's a great two-pronged strategy, the mix of 
organic and paid. That's pretty much what you want. Um, Jamie, what would you say the weight of the game is? I am notoriously bad at answering this question. Okay. Um, so if we're if we're talking a one to five scale, like we're looking at a board game geek page. Sure. If we're talking a one to five scale, I'd put it like somewhere between two and two point five. Okay. Um, one of the big things that my co-designer likes to ask during playtesting sessions is like, do you feel this game is more accessible than Magic the Gathering? Mm. Uh, because inevitably every single card game in existence will be compared to Magic the Gathering. Mm. Um, and so it's just like unanimous across the board that people have said that, you know, this scratches that Magic the Gathering itch and is much easier to learn to play. Like people learn all the basic strategies within the first game and then see the depth after that kind of okay. a thing. So it's definitely uh, not like a party game. No, it's not a party okay. game. It's a strategy game for sure. Okay, it's great. a it's a heads up strategy game. Okay. And then what's the player count on it? Exactly two. Exactly um, two. Okay. Yes. Oh, uh, right. So for for I should let you know some things about the Kickstarter. Um, one of my big things is that I really really dislike FOMO as a concept, and so two big things with my with my Kickstarter campaign. There aren't going to be any Kickstarter exclusive items, which I know is one thing that you can use as a hook. Like, hey, you want to back the Kickstarter because it's the only way to get these cool pins or something. I don't have that. Instead, I'm going to have print and play files for decks from the next set because it's a bunch of different decks. Every character is their own deck. So I'm going to have the first two characters from the next set as print and plays. Like, you get them in advance. But if you wait a year and a half, you can just get the real decks. So it's it's an advance, not an exclusive. Um, and the only stretch goal I'm going to have, because I know that's another hook, the only stretch goal I'm going to have, because it's my first campaign, is just extending the number of pieces of unique art that the game has. So that way I don't have to worry about additional things to ship. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I know that that is a marketing hook, and we can get into that a little bit later. Um, but that's some probably some background that you need in order to answer my questions more. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, all really helpful to know. Thank you. Cool. Um, and did I, did I answer a question that you had? We might have to. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about, um, <laughs> talked about like the weight of the game, the player count. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, it'll have a solo mode and I'm also going to be working okay, on a multiplayer cool. mode, but I figure those are like, those are rules that I'll just, develop and send to people while the game is like in development after it funds um mm. will that be so like a solo mode with an ai or something yeah, yeah yeah so the the way the game works is that you'll get so in this set there are six decks total and it's two copies of like the intro deck which is most mostly a full game uh, and it's what i use to demo most of the time and stuff like that and then four character decks which are a little more complex and so the idea is that you graduate from the intro decks to the character decks but then the intro decks are used for a bunch of alternate play modes, including the solo mode. So they're not just sitting there collecting dust after you start playing characters. Okay, got it. That's the plan. Awesome. Well, all right. Any more pre-information you need or shall I dive in? I think I'm ready to dive in. Yeah. Excellent. So it begins. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so the first question I want to ask is just... All right. So you've heard my story and I'm sure it's a story you've heard before. You know, I'm a first time creator. I haven't, I've, I've begun building the organic audience, but it's way not enough in terms of like recommended numbers for like, oh, you want this many people to back your game? You need an audience of X size. I'm like, I have a 10th of that. So what would you rec? And I, you know, I, I have a shoestring budget because I'm a first time creator. I'm not a big studio. Uh, so what, what would you say are the basics? Like, what do I need to be thinking about in terms of advertising? You know, is it worth it to do paid advertising? How do I go about it? Where should I be looking? Yeah, so, so like I said, I think the two-pronged approach you were talking about, like the mix of organic and paid is going to be really important. Um, for the organic, I know you mentioned you were part of um, some design groups already, like the Boston GMG, which is awesome mm -hmm. and a really good resource. Um, Facebook, uh, for all of its ills um is also a really good <laughs> platform to be on um the Bergen community there is like really thriving it's a, a really huge community um so joining like those different board game groups i think will be important um there's a lot of them out there like 
board game designers, mm-hmm. people kickstarting their games, people working on the graphic design for their games. There's tons of different groups out there. Um, and I would start by, you know, interacting with other people first and giving them feedback on their projects before, like, so you don't just come in and say, you know, look at my project. Um, yeah. you, you do want to actually try to like build yourself into the community and give back so that when the time comes for you to promote your project, people will know you and they'll remember that you took the time to, to speak with them. Um, so I think that'll be important. Um, that's a really good community to be on. Um, I, I usually stay away from Reddit just because um, they are so strict with what's interpreted as self-promotion there that even like, you know, asking for advice, I've seen them interpret that as self-promotion, like if you're disguising it. Um, mm. I, I just think it's it's a little bit too, too tricky over there. Um, but Facebook is a lot better about that. Um, you know, obviously don't go like spamming the project to groups, but like if you've kind of proven yourself to be like an active member, um, people are pretty tolerant of you sharing the campaign. And hopefully by that point, people will actually be interested and they'll want to see how it's developed. Um, so I definitely recommend that. And then obviously, you know, there's like Twitter, um, which there's no rules about self-promotion. It's just whatever you want to promote. Um, but you obviously have to like build your own following there, which takes a little bit more time. Um, same thing for Instagram, although I find getting plugged into the board game community on Instagram is a little bit easier. Um, the board gamers are very active on Instagram. Um, so I would just go, you know, find some board game content that you really like, um, see what hashtags they're using, start incorporating those into your posts, and hopefully you'll be reaching some of those same people. Gotcha. Cool. So this this answers a question that I had later, which is about, you know, in terms of the organic approach, what, what social medias are the necessary evils? Because social media as a whole is a necessary evil. And I, I have not, I've not tapped into it nearly as much because I despise it all, but I know I have to, I have to get them up. So, I mean, that, that rundown was great. So that, that question is. Yeah, it is kind of a necessary evil. And, um, you know, I, I totally empathize because it, it's really hard, like the burden that's placed on creators, like you, you can't just like be a designer really you also have to be like a personality and you know manage your social media and a beat like manage your brand and like it's really hard and um yeah I know that like that's not what everyone wants to do and so it's kind of unfortunate that like the kickstarter climate sort of demands that um so Mm -hmm. for for people who are thinking about getting into design um you know I would definitely be aware that that might be one dimension of it yeah or just get a social media person just hire one of your extroverted <laughs> friends. I mean, I'm an extroverted person, but I, I just despise several of the platforms from mm-hmm. a technical and ethical standpoint. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, and it, it's it's tough. Fair. It's tough breaking in as a new person. Yeah, it's really hard. For sure. Uh, um, the only people who follow me on Twitter are people that know me, like in the community already. So it's like, yeah. right, well, you're already seeing me in the Discord group, so. I'm not giving you any new information. Yeah, I totally understand. Um, another new app that I've been really liking is called Clubhouse. Um, it's it's yes, new. And it it's, is Apple only. It's Apple I, only and invite yes. only. So it's not the most accessible app. Um, but there's a really active board game community on there as well with a lot of mm-hmm. really cool board game discussions. So for people who are able to check out Clubhouse, um, I definitely recommend getting plugged into some of the board game communities on there. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've we've talked about organic. We've talked about the organic side. And yeah, now and now I want to hear about the paid side. One more right. thing to top off organic. Ooh. Um so because right. I've been I've been working in social media for so long, um the platforms are like constantly changing. Um mm-hmm. Facebook is probably the most guilty of this. They're changing all the time. Um and by extension Instagram as well. Um mm-hmm. so Facebook is making it a lot harder. Um to reach your audience. Um, So obviously that doesn't apply to groups, but like if you manage a Facebook page, basically Facebook wants you to pay to reach the people that like that page. They don't want you to just be able to reach them organically. Um, So Facebook's making it a lot harder to reach the people who have already followed your page and said, yes, I want to hear from these people. Facebook doesn't want you to be able to reach them. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So I've found that pages are becoming not obsolete, just yet, but they're not a big part of my strategy at this point. Um, I still think it's useful to have a page like for a company just to have that presence there. Um, but it's much more effective, I found, to actually like start a group for your game. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so you might have one company page, but then like several different groups, one for each game, or maybe just starting out, you know, one group um, for updates on your company and what you're doing. Um, because groups aren't subject to the same kind of promotions that pages are. Um, so if people join the group, they're much more likely to actually see your posts. Yep. Yeah, I, I've been seeing that as a strategy, and it's it's dumb. This hence hence the ethical the ethical yeah I totally uh, understand dilemma of using uh -huh. Facebook at all. But it's where all the people are, so you kind of have to. Yep. But uh, all right. Um, so that that leads me into the paid advertising part of it, and I know that. The information that is valuable, or no, that's not how I want to word this. Um, the information that is going to be most effective will differ based on a number of factors, such as budget and the audiences you're trying to reach and all this other stuff. But just, you know, in general, uh, as a first time backer, what do you have like a, a recommended like starting point for paid advertising? Like, hey, maybe start out this way to build an audience as opposed to this marketing strategy, which would be for larger companies or things like that. Yeah, I would definitely, for me personally, I find that Facebook is just far and away like the best return on advertising, mm -hmm. um, which again, it kind of sucks. I'd rather not be so reliant on Facebook, but it's really hard when like the return is just much more high, much higher than any other platform. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of starting for beginners, it can be a complex process. Like Facebook does not really make it easy to get onboarded into that process. Um, but there are a lot of really good um, tutorials out there, you know, online courses you can take. I think it's a great investment of like a couple hundred dollars to take a course on like, you know, Skillshare, any of those places and just learn the yeah. basics of Facebook advertising. I think it's a really good investment. Um, and of course, like you can also pay somebody to do that for you. Um, more like less labor intensive ways of advertising would be um, like booking ad space, like um, on a website or like in a board game group on Facebook, like most of those groups sell banner space. Um, that's like, you know, if you, if you can get the graphics, then, then you can just go ahead and do that. And you don't have to worry about like, you know, targeting audiences or anything. Um, mm -hmm. Board Game Geek also offers advertising packages, um, which I think are generally pretty good. Um, mm. Advertising spots and newsletters, which are, are really good generally. Um, those are some like, you know, more hands-off advertising um, avenues that you can take. Got it. Okay, cool. Sweet. And the big question on everyone's minds, the big underlying question to everything is how... How has marketing, both organic and paid, both halves, how has it changed since the pandemic started? Because uh, I, I, I think I mentioned this at the top. Um, I didn't start my company until after the pandemic started. And mm -hmm. so I, I have been, my entire run towards the finish line for this game has been post in a post-pandemic world. So mm -hmm. I haven't, you know, I've, I've demoed at exactly one festival one time um, that was in person. And it was long ago. It feels like so. So how how has the landscape changed? What how is your how have your strategies adjusted? It honestly hasn't been a huge change. Um, people are online more, so mm -hmm. we're seeing that. You know, like before, I would have to like really tailor when I would post things to catch people online. Like usually at their lunch break at work, and now it's just mm. like anytime people are online, pretty much. <laughs> um, gotcha. In in advertising. Um, it's, it's kind of leveled out, but more so toward the start of the pandemic, um, I saw a huge spike in retail sales. So not, not Kickstarter specifically, but like um, I, I was doing an ad campaign for a chain of retail stores here in Australia, um, board game stores, and like mm -hmm. their ad campaign blew up. It was amazing. Like people just wanted to buy games that they could get right then and play with their families while they had nothing else to do. Um I mean, here in Australia, we were in stay-at-home lockdown for eight months, so that will that will do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, other other kind of board game adjacent sectors saw huge growth, like puzzles saw huge growth. Um, so, like in my ad campaigns, even though I wasn't selling puzzles, I would add puzzles to my targeting just because people were looking for puzzles. Um, oh, interesting. yeah, yeah. So there's um, there's different websites you can 
you can check out that will kind of show you like trends and things um, like Google has a trends function that you can look at. Um, so you can kind of see like what people are searching for in your niche and target adjacently to that. Um, so yeah, like definitely, you know, available now retail sales and puzzles specifically like really took off. Uh, like I said, it's kind of leveled out now. I didn't see a huge um, difference with Kickstarter. I think it stayed fairly steady really. And I think Kickstarter's own data bore that out as well. I think they released some data like around the middle of the pandemic to kind of assuage people's anxiety and saying mm-hmm. that, you know, funding was pretty steady. Yeah. It's actually increased. In general, yeah. <laughs> on average. I've been to some of the webinars that. that they've been holding mm-hmm. um, with backer kit and stuff. And yeah, that's, that's been the general consensus. Mm-hmm. So the, the concern that I have is it's less, uh, yeah. So people are online more, but also there have been a lot more game creators that have come about since, since the pandemic started um, mm. in 2020 alone. I don't know if you know this in 2020 alone, over 10,000 new board games were added to board game geek mm-hmm. just last year alone. Yeah. So, and more than, I think more than 5,000 of them were kickstarted games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or games that were put on Kickstarter in 2020 or are something like that. Uh, so how, you know, is that a concern that I should have? Is that, you know, I am one of many, many more kickstarted games that are trying to advertise to the same groups of people. So, you know, do I need to do anything special to try to stand out more so than I otherwise normally would? Yeah. I mean, I think not, not to say it's a concern, but it is definitely something that's good to be aware of. I mean, Kickstarter as a platform is changing pretty rapidly and how people use it is really changing um, in, in good ways and bad ways, I think. Um, So like back in kind of the early days of board game Kickstarter, you know, you could put up a project that like maybe the design wasn't finished. Maybe it didn't have art yet or kind of janky art um, and just (laughs) have like five paragraphs of information in plain text and you'd probably raise like a hundred thousand dollars. That is not (laughs) how Kickstarter works anymore. Um, I think there's good and bad aspects to that. I mean, on one hand, it's great that we're getting like more polished products. I'm huge, like into the aesthetics of games. So I love that games are like looking better all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, more unique themes, things like that. Like your game has a really unique theme, which I think is really cool. Um, the downside is that it's a lot harder for like, especially first time creators that don't have big budgets to really get a foothold in Kickstarter because the Kickstarter audience has been so trained and what they want um, and what they look for in a game campaign that Mm -hmm. they kind of have like a mental checklist. And if you're not ticking those boxes, like, oh, they don't have three previews and one of them's not from Rado and they don't have a 3D video, (laughs) um, then, you know, I'm not, I'm not backing it. Um, Like that's, that's kind of the process that a lot of Kickstarter backers are going through. So it's a lot harder for smaller creators to compete um, with the big ones, which I think is why uh, I'd be interested to see like, of how many new projects are launching on Kickstarter and board game projects, what percentage of them are failing? Because I wonder if the percentage of ones that are failing is maybe going up. I mm. I don't know that definitively, but I would be interested. I also don't know that. Yeah, like I would assume that the ones that fund are getting bigger, but maybe there's fewer ones that are funding. Um, yeah. Yeah, again, I know the, no the data, but that's of games, kind of my perception. <laughs> yeah, I know that the percentage of games as a whole, like based on the webinars that I've been to, the percentage of games as a whole... Um, on Kickstarter has increased mm-hmm. for I, I, like, I think before the pandemic, it was something like 58 or 62%. And in 2020, it was like almost 80% of games got funded. But again, mm-hmm. it might be, you know, these repeat creators, like, uh, you know, I am one of those people that every time Eduardo Baroff makes a new game and puts it on Kickstarter, I'm there. I'm one of the first, yeah, because, totally. you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know how it goes. And I, I also have my own mental checklist, although it's generally just one thing. It's, is there an early bird special at all? If so, I'm walking <laughs> away because I, I, as stated before, I cannot stand FOMO mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't want to be privileged because I was the first person to see this or miss out on a great deal because I was yeah. not. Um, both of those situations annoy me. But um, Yeah, and FOMO is a huge a huge part of Kickstarter marketing for sure. Um, yes, whether so that's... I'm on the outset there, which <laughs> yeah. is another another hurdle to climb. Yeah, whether that's, you know, through through early bird specials like you mentioned, like people who back uh, like in the first 48 hours of the game, usually they get some kind of bonus. Um, 
content that's like gated off in certain ways. We see that a lot if like somebody comes back to Kickstarter with an expansion for an existing game and they mm-hmm. lock some of that expansion content behind like a higher pledge level where you can't just buy like what you're missing. You have to rebuy things. You see that a yep. lot. Um, yep. uh, stretch goals, I think, you know, create some sense of FOMO, but maybe not quite as you know controversial. Um, I do think I, I have a little bit of a convoluted relationship with stretch goals because I, I do think they can be really good um, and there's a way to do them right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I can say, and it won't be a huge surprise to anyone, most stretch goals are an illusion. <laughs> uh, they're purely a marketing <laughs> yep, tactic. Yeah, we talked about that, yes. Um, yes. It does 100%. not cost $10,000 to add one card to the game. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's fine. And that's not to to besmirch all stretch goals. There are some that are legitimate. Like if you are trying to add more art to the game, there is a mm-hmm. tangible cost to that that you need to get above what your funding goal may be. Um, and, it, and it's fine. It doesn't hugely bother me. Um, I, I've kind of taken, there are some campaigns where I just prefer to do like a daily reveal at that point. Um, it's basically doing what the stretch goal is doing, but feels a little bit less ridiculous mm. to me than mm-hmm. saying for $10,000, we'll give you one card. Just say, come back tomorrow and we'll reveal a new card. <laughs> like, yeah. um, I think that's kind of doing the same thing. Um, so there's yeah. ways to navigate it. And I, I think probably the healthiest way is probably a mix of those two, like a reveal of new content throughout the campaign, but also some big benchmarks for what you're actually upgrading. Yeah, and that's something that I'm going to be, because I, I, you know, as is probably apparent, I'm not going to have the art to be able to reveal it uh, mm-hmm. in my first campaign. But for my second campaign and stuff, I'm definitely thinking about other stretch goals, add-ons, maybe like, you know, cool poker chip tokens and fancy deck boxes and playmats. And I'm, I'm thinking of all kinds of things, but mm-hmm. that's for the future when I'm, after I'm successful. Um, <laughs> but for right now, it's, it's, yeah, I want to... I basically want to present just a, you know, an honest and simple campaign uh, Mm -hmm. with no ploys and just be like, this is, this is me. This is us. This is what we do. Um, And hope that works because I've, I've seen it uh, recently. It's a, it's a strategy that's starting to pick up Mm -hmm. and it is my favorite kind of thing to back is, you know, you know, a bunch of games. It's like, cool. I'm a first time creator. I back 50 projects. I have one pledge level. It's the game. I've already put all the, like uh, one campaign that I backed recently called Rift Force did this, where it's like, we have exactly one pledge level. Oh, no, they had two pledge levels. Sorry. The second pledge level was for two copies of the game and you got a $5 discount if you bought a second copy. And I'm like, all right, cool. So easy. And they said multiple times in their campaign, like the way that we want to handle this is we've already selected all the best components for the game. So it's like the cardstock is already the cardstock that we want you know, the high gloss box, the UV index of the, of the plastic wrap and, you know, all the, all the other stuff that, that you, all the quirky little things that you add in stretch goals or tend to in stretch goals. They were like, yeah, we already picked it all. And this is how much the game costs. And this is what we need to find at the end. And that's, that's the kind of thing that I want to do, but I understand that that harms my marketing strategy overall. So, <laughs> so I need to come up with new plans, but uh, I, it, I mean, it does and it doesn't because in marketing, you know, one thing we always say is like, however, um, whatever you can do to cut down the number of decisions somebody needs to make, they're going to be more likely to buy the product. Um, so if they don't have to look through like five stretch goals, you know, by that point, their minds like already, or five pledge levels. I I mean, um, like at that point, their minds already wandering. They're kind of checked out. They're like, do I really need this? Do I need the, the turbocharged Deluxified, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, so, so I actually do think there's a real benefit to having a simplified campaign like that. Um, also, like big shout out to Kickstarter for rolling out their add-on program recently. That makes yeah. that a lot easier to do. Yeah. Um, that's a, a really big benefit to creators. So there, there is for sure a benefit to just having a really simple campaign. Um, that's also part of the reason this is kind of adjacent advice, but I usually discourage my clients from running multiple games in one campaign um, because I think that the cognitive load that people have to go through to decide if they want all three, if they don't want all three, which of three they want, like that's a pretty yeah. big decision to ask somebody to make in like 30 seconds, which is the amount of time most people will spend on a Kickstarter page. Um, obviously that's not 
like a blanket statement. There have been some really great mm-hmm. multi-game campaigns, but generally I prefer to break them out into single game campaigns. Um, so another way that people do this is uh, between two editions of the game. Like you'll often see somebody have a standard edition or a retail edition, and then also a deluxe edition. Um, the main purpose of doing that is to make the deluxe edition look substantially better. Um, mm-hmm. You want what's called like a no-brainer upgrade, basically. Um, like if people have two editions of the game on the Kickstarter, basically they want you to get the better edition and the worse, quote unquote, worse mm-hmm. edition is just there to make the deluxe one look that much better. Um, mm-hmm. We did this uh, like in the very first Everdell campaign where we had, I might get the prices wrong, but um, I think we had the retail edition for like $39 and then the deluxe edition for like $65. I think that's how the pricing broke out. Um mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, for like $25, I get so much more stuff. Like, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, All the fancy tokens and the metal coins and the, yeah, and so the standing so... tree thing. Yeah. <laughs> As a backer, you can tell, like, one of my first things I look at when I see that in a campaign is what number of backers back the, the upgraded version and which numbers back the normal. And if more back the upgraded version, I will almost undoubtedly buy the upgraded version without even looking. Because I'm like, yeah. well, <laughs> clearly this is a better deal. So I'll just buy that. Um, yeah. But if it's about, if it's less then I'm like, okay, why is it less? Right. Mm-hmm. Like they have not made the case that you're saying of this is so much better back this one. Right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Value is a huge part of it. Um, Like making sure that people are seeing the value in what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's not uncommon to have campaigns where thousands of people will back the deluxe edition, maybe like a hundred will back the standard edition. Um, and you can get away with that because that'll go to retail and you'll sell more of it there. You're not expecting to sell it all through the Kickstarter. So it's the fine. standard mm-hmm. edition is retail is what you're talking about. That's how most companies do it. There might be some yeah. where both editions go to retail or they have some other arrangement, but generally the standard edition is what goes to retail because they have the margin there to you know sell to distribution and all that. Um, the collector's editions are usually like too expensive to sell into retail. Got it. That makes sense. That makes is sense. that something where for extras that companies you see like sell that at cons or something? Because obviously they yeah. can't get the exact amount they need, right? That's just like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of them, you know, a lot of companies use the language Kickstarter exclusive when what they really mean is, you know, Kickstarter web store convention. Right. Um, not retail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, <laughs> exactly. just like... Not in stores. Just yes. not traditional retail, basically, is what they mean. Um, right. Yeah, so you'll see it at conventions. It'll usually be available on their web store. Um, there have been a few campaigns, I think, that were like 100% Kickstarter exclusive. Like, we will not sell this after the Kickstarter, but those are pretty rare. Usually there will be some kind of channel where they'll also sell it afterwards. Right. Right. Cause it makes sense. Cause you, you need a minimum order quantity and you're very rarely going to get close to exactly the number of backers. Unless yeah. you're a savant. Just selling mm-hmm. it on eBay under fake accounts, you know, it's not us. Well, so, all right. So as a quick, Gosh, that probably question, happens. Like that's scary. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's happened at least once, but I, I'm sure I, I probably extremely unlikely any mm, given company right, is doing right. that. If I if I had to guess percentage wise, it's probably not many. I can think of a couple, um, but I won't mention them. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, likewise, I can I can think of one. Well, I would too, avoid I'm too them. Young like in the, the game, play. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, as a quick follow up question uh, about this, you know, standard versus deluxe situation. That's another thing that I I have noticed and I am also wanting to avoid. So, you know, I'm just going to, you know, my first game, it's like, cool, here's the first set of fight sequence. And it's just, this is fight sequence. And this is what's going to retail if retailers want it. And this is what's going to you if you back it on Kickstarter. And this is what I'm selling online. It's -hmm. it's all the same. Um, Do you think that that is harming my ability to get people interested since i'm starting an audience from the ground up this time so kickstarter backers generally want some kind of exclusivity um i think there's like three main forms that takes um i think it's content price and time and i think Mm -hmm. generally you want two out of those three um so if they're not getting exclusive content which it sounds like they're not can they get it cheaper and can they get it before everybody else that's probably what i'd be looking at Okay, cool. Yeah. My general plan was, so I don't know about the time yet because it, it, 
you know, it's my first campaign. Who knows mm-hmm. when anyone will get anything, yeah. uh, especially with the pandemic. So the idea behind the content is, you know, backers have control over, you know, how many backers I get is directly tied to how much unique art there is in the game, mm-hmm. um, which I guess isn't exclusive because all the copies of the game, a lot of the same art. Um, but the exclusive content I was trying to rely on there was, excuse me, was the print and play files, which mm-hmm. I know not many people care about print and play files, but even just being able to see it and talk about it, maybe that's enough. I don't know. Um, but the print and play files, not only for the whole game, but also for characters that are being printed in the next set way further on down the line. Mm-hmm. And yes, it will definitely be cheaper than buying it at retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe I could touch on all three, because I know that print and play files alone do not really give that sense of exclusivity, or at least mm-hmm. I imagine they don't. Um, and so also making it a point that Kickstarter backers get the game before retailers get the game, because I mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a pretty safe bet, because I'm probably not going to get picked up by any retailers or distributors <laughs> <laughs> as of first time. Well, you never um, know. It could happen. Yeah. It could happen. Yeah. I don't want to sell myself short. The game is really sweet. The game's sweet as heck. Awesome. Uh, but also, I'm a nobody right now, so, <laughs> you know, it balances out. All right, uh, so you touched a little bit on return on investment, and you talked about a bunch of ways to advertise earlier on, you know, just gave me a quick list of things to do. And one of the questions that I wrote down, is, is this is a two-parter. One is just generally, what do you feel right now are the best returns on investment, you know, since the pandemic for paid advertising? And as a follow-up, does budget factor in? So yes, I in my own research, and you confirmed, Facebook ads are the best return on investment in general. However, are there things that compete with that return on investment, like depending on how much budget you have, like $250 versus five grand or like something drastic like that? Or is that not even a factor? Like the return on investment is the same across the board, no matter how much money you're spending on it. Yeah, it's an interesting question because, um, you know, Facebook it's a little bit easier to say, yeah, it's the best stock return on investment because we can track that really easily. Um, Mm -hmm. There's some things that we can't track quite as easily. Like um, if you hire a reviewer to do, you know, a nice video for you, it's harder to track how many people saw that video and then went and backed the project. Um, Mm. You can put a link in the description or whatever, but that doesn't catch everybody. Um, So if you have a big budget, like if you're in that $5,000 range, I think it's probably best to diversify a little bit. If I was in that range, I'd probably um, spend like $1,000 on reviews, um, $1,000 on like Board Game Geek newsletter, and then like $3,000 on Facebook ads is probably how I'd break it up. Um, So so I think like diversifying is good because you'll catch people in different areas and like the more places they see you, the more likely they are to, to click you again and again. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that's probably how I'd approach it. If you're working with a small budget, um, some of those things will just be out of reach. Um, you're not going to be able, if your budget is like 250, let's say you're not going to be able to afford on board game geek. Um, you probably, I, I probably wouldn't pay for a reviewer at that point. I'd probably find somebody that would do it um, for free. They'll, they'll be a smaller channel, but you know, you work with what you have. Um, and I'd probably put the rest of that 250 into Facebook ads. Um, with Facebook ads, there's a couple different ways you can handle it. Um, so you, some people build their own landing page on their website and they collect email addresses. So they add people to their mailing list and then invite them to the Kickstarter once it launches. Um, mm-hmm. Some people direct uh, clicks to their like built-in Kickstarter landing page. Um, there's a couple different advantages to both of these approaches um if you're collecting email addresses then you know you own those email addresses you have them Mm -hmm. until that person unsubscribes so you can have them for many future projects um when they follow your kickstarter they only get notified for that one project unless they you know follow you or your next kickstarter or something um the benefit of that is there's a lot of social proof behind that if somebody goes to the page and you have 5,000 project followers, then that looks really impressive and they'll probably mm-hmm. want to be part of that as well. Um, whereas your email list is a little bit more behind closed doors. Um, with a small yeah. budget, I'd probably recommend doing the Kickstarter landing page route. Um, collecting emails is more expensive. So you can expect to spend probably about a dollar per email address you collect. So if you have $250, it's not going to go that far. Um Whereas for the landing page, 
um, you'll get that for a few cents. Probably you'll get a follower for a few cents. Um, Got it. It is like volumetric. Like you want to get, you know, like you said, cause only a percentage of people back the campaign. Mm-hmm. Usually like whatever my follower number is on Kickstarter, I expect on day one, like 10 to 15% of those to convert. And then by the end of the campaign, probably between 20 and 30% to convert. So you just want to extrapolate that out, like whatever your funding is um, and take a percentage of that. And that'll kind of tell you what you need. Um, Email addresses, like there's kind of a misconception that email is like antiquated. Email is still by far one of the best marketing channels. It converts way higher than anything else. (laughs) Um, You you can easily convert like 30% of an email list. It's really great, Um, but it's more expensive and takes more time to build. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, that is, that's one of those things that, you know, I, I pride myself on considering a lot of things and researching a lot of stuff. And that was not a thing that I understood. Um, awesome. <laughs> was just emails versus the, because I, I, I did read a little bit about that. You know, I, I've seen some people talking about if it's better to direct them to the landing page versus the email list. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking from experience, I am terrified of writing emails to my email <laughs> follower list. I have about a hundred people on my email list, which is a paltry amount. Uh, many of them aren't going to care. They just kind of signed up out of pity, I bet, because they're <laughs> friends of mine and they love me. Um, but, you know, some of them aren't even interested in board games. But um, <laughs> also, it's just when I say it's just it's hard because once I one of the things that I'm scared about and what what has made me hesitate is once I begin diving into social media and writing these email campaigns, I can't stop. Mm-hmm. I just cannot stop. I need to have, I need to continue pumping information into these platforms indefinitely. Um, <laughs> and so I've been hesitating to do it, which is not doing me any favors. Mm-hmm. But um, I figure by the time I'm at the point where I'm starting to do paid advertising, it's like, all right, cool. Well, the fire, my socks are on fire now and I have to run away with them. (laughs) Um, I just can't stop because my feet are on fire. So I have to run. Um, (laughs) I don't know how this analogy makes sense, but it made sense in my head. And now it's out in the universe. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, building an email list, I I think is really important. um, And there are creative ways to get around it organically. Um, I mean, for one thing, if you go the route with your Kickstarter of sending people to your Kickstarter landing page, then you can still ask people to join the email list in the campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, you can drop the link in updates. You can put it in the bottom of the campaign page. Um, you can't just add people to your email lists. Uh, that's yeah. a no-no. <laughs> Don't do Big that. No-no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so there are ways that you can let people know about it and hopefully they'll sign up on their own. Um, also, you know, if you have a website, definitely have a sign up link on there. Um, you'd be surprised like how many people might just find it and sign up. Um, another thing that I've seen people doing, which I think is really cool if they have their games in tabletop sim and they're doing play tests and stuff, they have like mm-hmm. an embedded sign up form in the table, which I think is great. It's kind of like if you go to a convention, they'll usually have a pen and paper sign up form. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of stuff is awesome. So I would definitely recommend doing that. That's yeah, fantastic. I that is that is a really cool thing. I've seen it exactly once and I was yeah. blown away. I've yeah. also seen um <laughs> someone embedded their rules video their youtube video onto the table mm-hmm. oh interesting for, that's for cool too. So that was really cool so it was like here's the rule book or you can just watch the video for five minutes yeah. and then the game is right there next to you and you can like manipulate the pieces while the video is going on which is that's probably cool. my favorite thing ever i don't have i've been testing on tts a lot i've mm-hmm. been testing the tabletop simulator a lot um and i have not leveled up the mod to include those things yet i mean i also don't have a rules video yet mm-hmm. but uh i am definitely intending those i didn't think about the embedded email form that is an yeah. excellent idea yeah, but yeah really part cool. of um part of the part of the marketing plan like when i as a way to start building more of an audience is once i have at least preliminary graphic design i'm going to make the public tabletop simulator mod and a public tabletopia mod Mm-hmm. For at least the intro decks in both on both sides, yeah. so people can just go and play it for free. Well, for the twenty bucks if you have Tabletop Simulator, because you sure. already paid that money anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's great. Like there are people out there who are you know kind of afraid, and they're like, "Oh, if I put my game out there for free, will people buy it?" And my answer is yes, definitely. Yes, um, they will. Like, yeah, like <laughs> it's yeah, absolutely. It's like the fear of like, oh, I don't want to put my game out there as a new designer because someone will steal my idea. They won't. Yeah. They, they yeah. just won't. They won't steal your idea. They have their own ideas to worry about. Yeah. It's going to be way more work for them to steal their steal your idea and publish that 
and yeah. fight you for it, then it, it they will be to just make their own games, which is enough work. <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, totally. That's uh, yeah. 100% true. So I, I think Tabletop Sim, Tabletopia um, are great, great tools, great marketing tools, promotional mm-hmm. tools. Um, the, the one person out there who won't buy the physical game because they can buy it digital probably won't buy it anyway so yeah they wouldn't back it right they might be a one dollar backer or (laughs) towards the end yeah the Um, benefits far outweigh the risks (laughs) yes yeah um and i have just i have one more two-parter question for you um in general for all these we've talked about where to advertise and how to spend money and i have one i have one more very important question for you or it's a two-parter question in terms of actually making the ads what would you say are best practices for making the ads? Like things that you would always include or very, very seriously consider always or mostly including things you mm-hmm. want to like trends that you've seen work really well. Like I've, you know, emojis or I don't know, whatever it might be. And then on the flip side, what would you consider the like cardinal sins of advertising? Never do this when you advertise. That mm. is stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. So the good thing about Facebook is you can test a lot. Um, so like what I'm going to say isn't going to be blanket. Like I've seen really random things work for different campaigns. And sometimes like (laughs) you don't know what'll work for a product or an audience until you kind of get in there and mess around. Um, So if people are doing Facebook campaigns, I highly recommend just like doing a lot of testing, test a Mm -hmm. lot of different um, pieces of creative. Those are like the images or videos, Um, test all the copy, like the text that goes with it, text the headlines, like test all of that. Um, And as many you know, permutations as you like, because it's good to get that data and figure out what people are responding to. Um, Mm -hmm. I think like an essential asset you'll want is like a a box render. Um, I think that's super important to have. Um, You can use that in like so many different assets. It's so flexible. Um, Like a game setup render is also Mm -hmm. great to have for that. Um, It depends on what, on what will, what people will respond to. I've seen sometimes just like you know, a piece of art with like no logo, no text on it do well. I've also seen, you know, more elaborate images that are like, you know, actually designed and composed with the box render and like, you know, characters from the game and maybe a Kickstarter badge on it. That can do well also. Um, mm. One thing that I've been liking lately, um, my my colleague Greg is like a wonderful uh, 3D artist animator. Um, is he'll do, he can take like layered art files and add animation to them. So like, say, yeah. So say like you have a character that's like standing in front of flames or something, he can make it look like there's flames around them and like they're moving. Um, And he'll just (laughs) create like a, a yeah, it's great. Um, And he'll just create like a short looping video of that. Um, I've really been liking those because like they look awesome in your feed, like they catch your eye. It's not too busy, but it's like enough movement to kind of interest you. I really like Mm -hmm. those. Um, so my best advice is really just like make a bunch of different things, make them like as different from each other as possible, um, and just test and see what works. Um, what not to do. Um, I mean, you don't want to share anything. Like if you're sharing videos, if you're trying to promote a video, you don't want to share it like you don't want it to be too long. Um, mm. Like I've seen some people say like, oh, you know, we have this like five minute rules video. That's not the kind of thing that you want to be putting in your advertising. People aren't going to watch yeah. it. Um, 30 seconds maybe. Yeah. And honestly, like Facebook pushes video advertising so hard. I almost never use video advertising. I always have better results with static images um, mm-hmm. or, or like those GIF kind of images. Um, but like that's just me and my methods. <laughs> Some people might have better luck oh, with yeah. video. I never watch videos. I can't stand watching yeah. videos. Um, I'm, I'm a static image person. Yeah. Life. If you do use a video, um, have subtitles because uh, almost nobody mm-hmm. watches it with the audio if they do watch it. So definitely do that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, um, and yeah, I would just say, you know, this is going to be people's like first introduction to your game possibly if they see it come across your feed so so you want it to look good um you want it to look professional um i often say if you're not able to do something that looks fairly professional it's probably better not to do it because i think it'll actually be more harmful um Mm -hmm. so you know people that maybe can't afford to have like a big fancy like 3d animated video or like well i'll just take a video of myself with my iphone talking about the game i'm like just don't have a video (laughs) it's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um if, if if people if their first um 
you know, interaction with you or your product is, you know, it doesn't look great. It's like low resolution or kind of grainy or it just doesn't look professional. I think that's more damaging than just not having it. So it's okay if you can't swing something and really do it right to just not do it. Got it. All right. Cool. Sweet. That was very helpful. Those are all of my questions. Awesome. So glad. Or not that they're all your questions, but I'm glad that it was helpful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad to be done. (laughs) So I have one question that I'd like to ask just based on, because that was brilliant. Um, I I learned a lot. Um, I'm thinking about kickstarting the game as well. And this was really, really helpful. So, um, so one of the things you didn't ask Jamie um, that I'm really curious about is Brenna, if, if you can like narrow it down to one or a couple things, what do you see as the biggest mistakes people make, especially first time Kickstarter producers? Like what, what are the biggest, like, Oh no, gosh, don't do that. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Probably it's actually kind of like a, a big one, probably the biggest one um, in terms of scale. Um, I think that all my like personal like design philosophy is totally centered around the product. Um, You can have the best, most expensive marketing campaign in the world. If you don't have a good product, it's not going to do anything for you. Um, Mm -hmm. So it, it always has to start from having a good game, which in turn becomes a good product and making sure it's the right fit for the audience that you're marketing to. Um, that would be my biggest advice, um, which I, I know is like really broad and could be interpreted a lot of different ways. Um, but like, I, I honestly think that's the biggest one. Like I just see a lot of people go to Kickstarter with products that are a mismatch for that platform um, and they're mm-hmm. not going to perform well. So, so that would be my biggest advice. Like it, it's great to do things that are different and be experimental, but like if I, I definitely recommend designers who are thinking about go to Kickstarter, like just be on Kickstarter a lot and see what's launching mm-hmm. and what's successful and what's mm-hmm. not. Yeah. And if your game has more in common with those campaigns that are failing, that might be a point of concern for you. And like, you might need to reevaluate a little bit and figure out what's happening with those. Those, those are really good points that it, what it makes me think of is, um, it, you know, as, as designers and we, we tell the listeners who a lot of them are also designers, you know, um, when you're looking to get a game published, uh, and you're looking for a publisher, the biggest thing you need to do is research the publisher and make sure that you have the right fit, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of what I'm hearing is think of Kickstarter as a publisher yeah, and say, totally. is this the right fit for that publisher? You may be the publisher, but a Kickstarter is going to get you your money. If they're not the right fit, then don't do it. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and I I think I've been a Kickstarter person since, you know, the very beginning when, like you said, back in the day when you'd be like, I've got these, you know, a couple art files and a couple gifts here and wow, look at this. And it's like, here's a hundred grand. And, and so seeing what it's changed into is very different, you know? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I see still people putting up those campaigns though. That, yeah. that are more like the wild west days and and it's like they're gonna fail right like yeah. there's mm-hmm. they're, they're just gonna fail you know um yeah yeah so yeah i mean i, I hear from cool. people that are you know they're doing like you know kind of antiquated like cu- like couples which are always very heteronormative like dating games you know like mm-hmm. date night games and i'm right, just like right. this is not the product for kickstarter it's not gonna be successful i'm really sorry yeah. i know it's your baby right but right. like I, I feel like I'm doing people a disservice if I'm not truthful with them. Um, I, right. I turn mm-hmm. down, I, I turn down way more campaigns than I take on because the majority of campaigns won't be successful on Kickstarter. Um, these like mm-hmm. perspective campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's super important to just like do your research, um, make sure like, and you know, be realistic, like especially about how the game looks. Um, that's where I find a lot of people fail is they're like, well, it's the best that I can do. And I, like, for me, I think it looks okay. And it's like, all right, but that does it look okay for everybody yeah. else? Um, right, right, and, right. And that's like a really hard pill to swallow. And I totally understand. And I know like it sucks oh, yeah. and, it's, and it's really hard for new creators, but it, um, I, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to people if I'm not upfront and realistic about what's what's feasible. I mean, is that something that you, that you like when, when somebody comes to you, you know, Jamie comes to you with their game and is like, check this out. And you're like, no, nah, Jamie, it's not going to work. No, I'm just kidding. But like, is that, I mean, are you clear with them to just say, I don't think we should take this project on because I, I see these barriers and these things that I don't know that we can overcome. I mean, is that, 
what you um, have to say? When when people I'm just come curious. to me like, yeah, so when people come to me the first time, because you never know how people will react when you tell them that. So I, I usually just say, right. like, yeah, yeah, because like, you're calling their baby ugly, right? I mean, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. So I, there so are I a lot usually, of ugly babies. Yeah. <laughs> there are. So there I usually just babies. say, like, you know, this project, like, thank you so much. This project isn't the right fit for us. Um, some people take that very gracefully. Some people are like, well, yeah, you know, like pretty woman, like, you'll be sorry. You're making a big mistake, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and then some people are, are, you know, they, they obviously are open to feedback and they, they, so they might ask for some more information about why that is. So if, if people take mm -hmm. that extra step yeah. to ask, then I might get into it with them. Um, but usually like that first point of contact, um, if I've never dealt with them before, and I don't know how they'll re react. I usually just leave it kind right, of vague, right. but I'm totally happy to get into it with people that want the feedback. Well, and it's, it's funny to me that, you know, I mean, if somebody's like, yeah, no, you'll be sorry. Like you should have back, like you, they just proved that you made the right decision, right? Like yeah. they just proved that you're like, I don't want to work with you. Like, you're going to be like, you want somebody that's going to come back and say, Hey, what, what is your feedback? Like, what, what do you think is, is a bad fit? I just want to know. I want to learn from this, you know? And yeah, so that's, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Like I'm working with a client right now who like, they literally came to us and they were like they literally said like kill our baby basically like, wow <laughs> like help us like you know take out everything that shouldn't be there and just help us rebuild it back up stronger and like those are the clients that you want because they're so open and like right, receptive right. to feedback yes mm. well, yeah i mean i think i mean i would hope that clients that are coming to you and saying here's this game make it shine i mean i i like to say i hope that none of them are like going to be super precious about stuff but let's be honest they i mean they are you know mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah right? i mean yeah. people in general you know i i always try like we we're talking about this and working with co-designers even like where you say to them like this is this is my vision this is what is important to me about this game mm -hmm. if that's not going to work you have to tell me like this is this is the this isn't going to fit what we want right yeah, yeah. um i gotta be honest because... the entire concept of co-designers is bewildering to me i don't know how any person can design a game with anyone else <laughs> i just don't understand I, it. I used to be right there with you jamie uh but i would love to spend a long time explaining to you why i am such a better designer when i have another person to work with yeah um I, mean, know, I, I, and I work with multiple co-designers just so that i can have different co-designers with different strengths and weaknesses to match what i'm bad and good at so mm. that we can work on specific types of projects together yeah, yeah so. that that makes sense. I'm definitely being a little tongue in cheek because Fight Sequence has a co-designer who I adore <laughs> and cherish. Um, but it's the sort to of you thing though. I, so yeah, well, it's it's a. I'm not sure if it's a typical situation because I I have designed every card and mm -hmm. the characters. I've designed the characters like I did the. I'm doing the art direction stuff like that. But literally every choice I make, I run by the co-designer, who mm -hmm. is basically like double checking my work at every step of the way that's great and, that's and great. he's also yeah. you know the first person to play test every card and stuff like that uh and so we, we he hashes out everything even though he hasn't technically designed anything he's still the co-designer because he's such an integral part of the process mm -hmm. but absolutely every single time I, and this might just be my experience because i'm in the play testing groups where it's like you know the two of us are both novice designers and we are co-designing and i've seen the like the bad version of that enough yeah, times yeah, that i'm a exists. little bit jaded yeah and <laughs> it's, for it's, sure. it's, you know yeah. there are a lot of ugly babies in the world that's, that's yeah the... totally and um you know i just want to add as an addendum to that like um because I, I don't want it to sound like overly negative like we don't go into games like looking for what's wrong with them like we're looking for what's mm -hmm. great about them and what we want to build around so it's not oh, about like course, being, being negative or like finding an excuse to tear games down or anything like that it's just about you know looking at your own work critically and realistically yeah. which i think is important yeah i mean right. that's why i i made the sh the first year and a half of fight sequence i was like oh yeah i could do the graphic design i i literally i did that exact mm -hmm. thing and then it was right. a, it was a strong reality check when people were like mm, no yeah, well, you but you, you, you but you took the feedback and then you you took the right steps and got a proper graphic designer. So that's awesome. Heck yeah, that's that was the that was the plan. Yeah, the whole plan. Right. Awesome. Well, hey, this has been an awesome conversation. I've really really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. I know Jamie, yeah. you got all your questions answered, and that's fantastic. Brenna, mm -hmm. really appreciate your time. Thank you so much um, for having me. This was a blast. I love this format. It's really cool. 
Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, we love it too. So again, anybody who wants to check out Quillsilver Studios, it's Quillsilver.com. Check yeah. that out. Um, and uh, yeah, see what they do. Like I said, it's a lot. Um, <laughs> if uh, if you want to get in touch with uh, with uh, um, with Brenna, the best way to do that would be what would your preferred format be for that? Um, so so if you want to like like if people are interested in hiring us, um, you can go to quillsilver.com yeah. and we have a contact form there, which will go to me. Um, if you just want to like chat or you know see what I'm up to or whatever uh, you can follow me on twitter um at brenna noonan um quillsilver is on there too if you just like want to follow the projects um we're at by quillsilver by quillsilver um and I'm, I'm always happy to like answer questions or talk shop with people um i talk about it a fair bit on twitter so you can find some more stuff there mm-hmm. i don't know if jason mentioned this when uh when i found out that you were going to be the guest for the marketing episode mm-hmm. uh i was like oh yeah this is this is the the number one spot in terms of people I was considering contacting. For oh, that's so before, before that's this really even sweet. happened, I was like, this is already a person yeah. I was considering. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. Because Jamie, you, you just said, go find someone. And yeah. so I went out, you were the first person that was recommended multiple times to me, Brenna. Oh. And uh, so when I told Jamie, it was pretty funny. He's like, oh my gosh, this, I want to talk to them. This is great. That just yeah. made my day. Thank you both so much. Yes, yeah, Absolutely. Um, well, listeners, thanks for joining us uh, tonight. We appreciate it. Uh, you've got Brenna's contact info. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can, of course, go to buildinggamepodcast.com. Uh, you can go to our Discord channel Discord channel on there and join that community. <laughs> Discard. Discard we're, we're talking channel. about card games too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Discard, Discard channel now. Um, you can also, of course, uh, call us at 770-HOTEL-BTG. Email us at buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us, of course, on the Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.E. Slingerland. Jamie is at Try Rainbow Games. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you, uh, yeah, those are the best ways to find us. So do that. And uh, until next time, good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Or if you're in Australia, good afternoon. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BTG. Please don't use the email.